Red Podcast. It's Red Podcast, the marketing podcast for experts. David Hooper here with you, and I've got a guy with me today. He's doing similar work. He's got a similar background too. Jason Van Orden. He's got a podcast called Impact. He's been in the trenches for 20-something years, so there's a lot that we're going to cover. That's one of those things, the 20-something years. How do you do it? A lot of people can have success once, but very few people can maintain it. Of course, that's not to say that it is smooth sailing. I can definitely speak from my experience that it is not. Sometimes there are those rough seas. How do you do it? Jason, welcome to Red Podcast. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. I want to take it back to 2005. This is a project that a lot of people will know, especially if you're listening to podcasts, and you are, obviously. Internet Business Mastery, that was the hot online podcast at the time, and it's something that people still talk about. Let's go back there, 2005. First of all, why do you think that that podcast was so successful? Yeah, I've, I've asked myself that many times. And of course, timing, I can't deny, is part of it. Having come across podcasting, I just had an intuition about it early on. I found out about podcasting through a mutual friend of ours, Bob Baker. I was on his newsletter at the time because I was just looking for marketing ideas. And he talked about guerrilla marketing at the time, particularly for musicians, which I was. And when I Googled podcasting, I remember Google correcting me actually at the time. Like, did you mean fly casting? <laughs> it's <laughs> right. like I thought I was talking about fly fishing. That early. <laughs> right, totally. So I found some blog posts about it. I'm like, wait a second, this sounds really cool. So like the marketer in me was buzzing, the software engineer in me understood it, the marketer business guy in me, the audio guy knew how to create it. So I was just like, wow, this is really cool. And the truth is I had no idea whether podcasting was going to become a thing or not. I mean, now, you know, hindsight 2020, I'm glad I, I hopped on it. I think timing was part of it, but also, you know, there's there's always a need to find, like, what is that voice that people are looking for that they can't seem to find anywhere else? And at the time, a lot of internet marketing, we'll just call them gurus, were talking through different media than podcasting for one, but also there was this very like, hey, I'm the dude on the mountain, I'll tell you how it's done kind of thing. And we were coming out through this new thing called podcasting and just saying, look, we're two dudes. Yeah, we make some money online. We're just, I mean, literally the idea for the podcast came from like my friend and I, Jeremy, who already we got on the phone regularly with each other, basically like a two person mastermind of like, what's working for you? I'll tell you what's working for me. And we're like, why don't we record these conversations and turn it into a podcast? And of course, it evolved and formalized and everything over time, but I had no idea what it would become when we started. Thank goodness, I, I decided to go ahead and, and follow that intuition that I had. I mean, I'm making it sound like it's easy or something. The truth is, it was probably January, February, I found out about podcasting. It took me till that fall to really jump in and do something because right. I had all the usual like, is this going to work? Do I really have something to say? I, I you know... I can't, I kept thinking about like my friends who listen to NPR or something like they're going to think I'm a joke or I, I don't know, but you know, thank goodness I actually took the leap on that in 05. Talk about Bob Baker for a second. We did know Bob because I was in music, you were in music. And that's something that I think really helped me. I'm sure it helped you. Something like podcasting comes along and you probably already got a microphone there. So you've got the equipment, you know how right. to talk into the microphone, you know how to talk from the stage. You had some skill set that translated well to podcasting. And I think that's one of the things that people don't realize. They think, oh, I'm starting from scratch. It's like, well, nobody's really starting from scratch. You could have been in that room. I could have been in that room. A third guy could have been in that room. And we're all technically beginners, never done our first episode. But we all have that background that we've picked up after 
20 years, 30 years, 40 years of living that you bring to the table. And, and I think we are, to analyze that, you certainly were ahead of the curve when it came to learning, although it sounds like it took you nine months or so to pull the trigger. Right. To jump into it. Right. Um, you know, I, and obviously in hindsight, I can see this is so often the, the case, right? We get to where we're going by following these breadcrumbs and we see the breadcrumbs. And however, um, you know, in hindsight, I can see that, I mean, here's the lesson for anybody who's creating content today. And that is you have a voice to offer. Here's what I say, and you'll appreciate this as a musician. Like if we think of a very esoteric genre, something like jazz klezmer, jazz and klezmer put together, that's a pretty esoteric genre. But you can go to something like Spotify today and search jazz klezmer, and you're going to get a playlist that somebody has curated of those two genres melded together. And what I tell people is, we today as consumers are used to having that infinite choice, infinite shelf space through things like Amazon and, and Apple. And, and I mean, even with podcasts, you can find a podcast that meets any particular need and consumers are used to that now, like hitting that exact resonance, as I like to call it, of what they're looking for in the manner that they want to receive it. And the point I'm making here is that even though since 2005, when I started podcasting, the noise floor has risen immensely. And there are a lot more people online sharing their expertise and often sounding the same as the next person talking about the similar topic as them, that those of us who are willing to lean into what it is that we uniquely have to offer to resonate with our intended audience. And that, that comes down to what do we believe? What are our values? What's our perspective? What are the experiences we bring to bear? There's a slice of the population of the world who will want to receive that information from you in the way that you have to offer it and from nobody else once they find you. That's something we happened to stumble upon in 2005. It's even more important today. There's a huge opportunity. Yes, there's a high noise floor, but I tell people, it's like, look, if you can figure out that resonance that you have with a particular audience that you want to serve, you know you are uniquely positioned to serve, that you're going to stand out above the noise. And there is going to be an audience for you that will congregate to what it is that you have because of how, to what is it you have to offer because of how you make them think, how you make them feel, because you have common values, common beliefs. And they just vibe with who you are. They're thinking, you know what? I could hang out with this person. This is cool. And that's exactly what happened with Internet Business Mastering. I feel that that was a lot of your success because I hear people talking about it. Like I said, still, and it's been several years since it's been an active podcast. And we're going to talk about that transition here in a minute. What happened once you decided to pull the plug? But I, I feel like it, people refer to you by your first name, Jason and Jeremy. Jason, it, I had to ask you the question when we first got on here before we started recording. What was Jeremy's last name? Because it, it did feel like <laughs> it did feel like it was somebody that you knew, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm curious about that. You mentioned it took you about nine months to kind of figure this out. And part of that is it's a new technology. You don't really understand the power of podcasting. You couldn't go onto Amazon and order a book or go watch a thousand YouTube videos about how to do it. So part right. of it is that. But how much of it was you getting clear on the message and who you were going to be online on the air? The thing that finally got me to invest in podcasting was just imagining that there were going to be more people who were going to discover this technology and realize, this is cool, I want to adopt this, whether for my business or otherwise, as a means to reach people around the world. And yet, everything that was available at the time was 
like I said, Google tried to correct me and I landed on these very geeky blog posts talking about the technicalities of podcasting, you know, RSS 2.0 and enclosures and right. blah, 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 right? And most people don't know what that even at the time, like it's still now, don't know what that means. And they don't need to know what that means. And so I just thought, you know what? I guess it was the teacher in me that was was thinking, you know, there, there are people that are going to want to adopt this technology and the resources that are available are wholly inadequate in helping them get started in a way that's easy and frictionless for them. And so I decided, you know what, it's worth the experiment. I went ahead and I spent a few weeks putting together one of the early first tutorials about podcasting and trying to make it the most accessible thing that I could because I I saw a need that I felt was worth investing in and I went ahead and did that. And, and I think that's the core of any really good business or brand is that you see a need that needs fulfilling that you're uniquely positioned to help with. And so you go ahead and you do the thing that you are, that your perspective and experience and, and, and knowledge and expertise allow you to do. And I was positioned at that time as a musician, as a software engineer, as a marketer and, and business, as an entrepreneur to write something that resonated with people. And thank goodness it got picked up by Google. It took off. It led to speaking gigs. It led to the success of my podcast. It led to a book deal. And really, that's the essence of entrepreneurship is finding those needs and then running experiments to fulfill those needs for an audience that you feel driven to help and serve. I'm curious what you think about finding your medium. How are you going to get your message out? Because during that time, if we take it back to the early 2000s, the people who were successful in internet marketing, we'll call it, a lot of them were great at letter writing, sales letters. And I remember the very first time I saw an audio message come on one of these letters. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, well, that's going to expose some people because some of these guys aren't necessarily great talkers. They're better writers. (laughs) And obviously, podcast, you're talking a lot and you've got to be good at improvising. You've got to be good at a different type of delivery. You're not just reading a script. Now we're seeing video. And I feel like in some ways, like, yeah, the market is bigger, but because everybody's segmented, some people do like to read, some people like to listen, some people like to watch. And because so many people have been knocked out of various things, like they're just not interesting. Can we name names here? Hey, it's my podcast. I'm going to, I'm going to beat this out, but I'm going to tell you a name of a guy who was great at writing and had a huge blog, but the podcast was boring. And I'm not talking trash. That's why I'm beeping this out, but I'm going to tell it to you, Jason. Great writer and making multiple six figures from the blog. But when it came to podcasting and video, he was just weird and died a quick death after that. Still around, but not nearly as big. I'd love to know your thoughts on that, like finding your medium and what you do personally, because do you feel comfortable on on video and, and writing and podcasting and live? Are you pretty much even between those or is there one that you go for? I feel comfortable with most of them, but I've been at this a very long time. But here's what I tell my clients. And this is a great point that you bring up. It's like, look, there's so many great ways to deliver your message online, to show up online, to offer value online. Because it's so important to do that in a way that's resonant and to show up consistently. It doesn't do you any good to create a podcast or a newsletter or blog post or social media post or whatever once every, you know, once in every blue moon, you've got to show up consistently. So I tell my clients when I'm helping them with their marketing and sales strategy, choose the medium or the media that are going to fit you best. 
And for some people that is writing, for some people, they're happy to hop on a microphone and just talk extemporaneously like we are right now. And, and for others, you know, they really like the visual aspect of video. Do that thing that plays to your strengths that will get you showing up consistently. And then there are systems and tools and people you can bring onto your team that can help you repurpose into other channels. Yeah, I, I'm not, for the very reason of the example you just shared right there, I'm not a big fan of forcing yourself to follow a certain formula. And this is one of the big, biggest aggravations when it comes to anybody who teaches internet business or entrepreneurship in general is that it's very sexy to share a formula. So somebody can come out and say, podcasting is everything. Like podcasting's the hottest thing, which of course we've probably heard, you know, every few years for yeah, years. Yeah, I'm telling now, right? people that. I'm telling Right. <laughs> and, and, and there are true, there are points definitely where podcasting has yeah. been hot and yeah. at the same time, right. But you know, when people come in and say, and this is the thing that I did and just do what I did and right. it's going to work for you. It's like, I'm sorry, it doesn't work right. that way. Like go with the frameworks and, and a framework is like, here are the, here's the 80% based on the principles that work. And then the last 20% is going to be you. What are your strengths? What are you drawn to? What are your goals? What are your values? So, you know what, if that's writing, great. If that's video, great. And you can always find other ways to repurpose your content across different channels. So I'm not a fan of forcing yourself into one thing or another. Anytime anybody asks me, hey, Jason, what's the hot channel right now? I'm like, I don't want to answer that question because I know that it's going to lead you down a path that is not necessarily the one that's going to serve you best. That's my take on that. We certainly saw that in the music industry. I can think of one band that was metal, in the mm. 80s, when that was hot, they kind of bypassed the grunge thing, went back into the rock scene with a pop punk, and now they're country. Mm. Uh, nice. We've got a saying here in Nashville, we say, uh, when your career goes south, so does your music. And, <laughs> it, you know, it can work, I suppose, but at the same time, it's like you're, you're starting all over again and you're living and dying by the charts or you're living and dying by, as you say, f formulas or whatever's hot. And we certainly know people, I just mentioned a minute ago that, you know, sales letters were really hot at one time. But if you're only investing in one type of medium or one type of outlet, and that goes away, it gets blown away by something else like audio or video, you're in trouble. And, and that's where I think the personality comes through. And, and I would say that going back to Internet Business Mastery, we talked about that. Two first names. I mean, you had your full names that you were given out, but people thought that they knew you, you guys were mm -hmm. approachable. And I think that's the kind of thing, no matter where you go, you're going to bring that into emails and, and you do, and you, you bring that into other, other elements. And, and I don't think that people realize that they think it's all about the how to, or the formulas. They don't think about the personality. I say empathy and approachability are the two biggest things that people can bring. Oh, I love that. Empathy, I think is one of the most powerful words in marketing and sales. It's like the person who can understand their intended audience the best is going to do the best job at attracting and earning their trust. And so regardless of the channel that you choose, there are two R's that I like to refer to, resonance and relevance. Relevance is, are you addressing a top of mind pain or unfulfilled goal or unfulfilled need of your chosen audience? So, you know, they want to get better at tennis serve. And so that's something you can help them do. They want to, you know, figure out how to find their dream job and transition to a different career that's going to make them happier and earn them more money. Great. That's what you do. That's relevance. But resonance is 
you talk about it in a way, you teach it in a way, you guide them in a way that vibes with them, that is congruent with their worldview, that's congruent with their values, and that needs to be authentic. I mean, look, there's eight, almost 8 billion people in this world, and you only need a small fraction of those as your audience. I mean, we're both familiar with the whole idea of a thousand true fans, right? Which. Right. Um, in many ways is, is still a, a relevant thing to think about. You just need that slice of the world that they choose you because of who you are, not just because you're relevant to their need, but also because you resonate with them in a way that you help fulfill that need. It just attracts them towards you naturally. You grab their attention out of the day-to-day frenzy of scrolling through their social media feed, of all the different input that is is accosting their their senses on a daily basis. And they go, wait a second. This looks like it's pertinent to something that's important to me. And man, I really like how they're putting this thing. I think I'll lend them some more of my attention. And that's ultimately where we're going for, regardless of whatever medium we choose to deliver it through. You mentioned something a minute ago about internet business mastery that it sounded like you were your audience at the time. You were going through this Mm. with them and therefore you could relate to them. I want to know how you balance an attitude like that and a public perception like that with being the guru, because there mm. becomes a certain time when, and, and one of your fans, Pat Flynn, I used to hear him talk about you guys all the time. Pat Flynn would do these income reports and there's a time when it's exciting and it feels like it's possible for you. It's like, man, Pat did $10,000 this month. I can mm-hmm. do that. Then he gets to the point where it's half a million and then people are like, ooh, that's good for Pat, but uh, it's not good for me. How do you balance that with the new projects that you're working on because you're 20 something years in, like I mentioned. And I don't know that that's necessarily the, the big enough audience or the audience that you're even going for that you can be one of them anymore. This is a really interesting question because, I mean, research tells us that there's this thing called the curse of knowledge, that the further we get away from being the beginner, the more prone we are to losing touch with what it's like to be the beginner or the person that's in the place that we want to serve. Now, at the same time, I I do find that a lot of my clients who are out there, you know, sharing their message, sharing their expertise, sharing their thing that they feel driven to bring to the world, they are serving a past version of themselves. And I think that's great. Like there are these things that we've overcome, that we've experienced, these things that we believe in that are part of who we are, that allows us to bring that resonance to our brand because we can share stories and experiences that come from this place that is exactly what our audience is experiencing right now. I mean, that's a powerful thing. When somebody describes your experience, you're like, oh my gosh, it's like you're in my head. You're going to believe and trust in the next thing that they say in order to, like when you're like saying, and from here, this is what I recommend that you do in order to get to where you want to go. And so I do think it can be a blessing and a curse, but if you can recognize that there is value in serving an audience who is a version of yourself in the past or a version of who you are trying to become yourself. I mean, there's the whole idiom, we teach what we need to know, right? And and at the same time, and then we also have to recognize that the curse of knowledge makes us so that we got to check back in with that audience that we want to serve. And one of the things I do time and time again, so I work with a lot of coaches and consultants who want to repackage their expertise, their ideas into new income streams that are more scalable rather than working 
working one-on-one with people. They want the online course or the group program. The first thing I do with them is I say, great, we're going to go do some customer discovery, which is essentially interviews with your intended audience. I give them a formula, rather I should say a framework because I want it to be applied in a way that's true to them, but a framework for going in and running these interviews where by the end of those interviews, they're going to be like, okay, yes, I can see what the market wants right now because these things shift. We lose touch with them. They shift in the marketplace or whatever. So it's always this balance of wanting to stay in touch with the needs and challenges of our marketplace. And one of the best ways to do that is to have conversations with them on a regular basis and then inform our strategy based on that research. The offers that we put into the marketplace, the things that we decide to focus our time and resources on in order to grow our business and our impact. And so it's, it's like I said, a blessing and a curse that you got. As long as you keep that in mind, it's a super valuable thing to serve an audience that is a passive version of yourself. And I've absolutely done that, I think, throughout my career, as many of my clients have. That's another music business parallel. The guys that have been around for a long time, especially when it comes to something that's trendy, like club music, they got an ear to the dance floor, ear to the street. You know, there's some guys that don't do it. You listen to a record 20 years ago, and the one today is going to sound just the same. And that's okay, because people like a throwback. But if you want to know where people are now, because the world is changing, it is certainly changing. As we've mentioned, we've added podcasting, we've added video. I think it's important for you to understand where people are now. With that said, something I've often thought about is I'm 49 years old right now. And I look back in my 20s, back in my 30s. I felt at one time I had a finger on the pulse of what was happening I'm finding that a little bit more difficult to do these days. I'm curious with you, if you go through the same thing, if you think, how am I going to keep this up? Where are you evolving as somebody who is self-employed and doing this kind of work? I mean, this is an interesting thing. And you've already alluded to the fact that, you know, I had Internet Business Mastery for a number of years. It's last, you know, it was a podcast that started in 2005. And after 10, 11 years, it was like, okay, you know, I'm ready for something different. And that threw me into a place of great uncertainty because it's like, who am I if I'm not Jason of Internet Business Mastery, the first ever podcast about internet business that all these people listen to and they know the success, right? And and so like letting that go was a scary thing. And two things served me well in that moment and continue to serve me well to this day. And the two are very interrelated. And that is curiosity. So following where my curiosity leads me. I think that's a a tool that our intuition uses in order to bring ideas to us, to lead us down paths that can be beneficial to us, even though we might understand where it might take us. You know, that might be in the form of, I feel compelled to go to this conference and learn more about topic X. And then that ends up being, you know, the very thing that you're, you know, just as an example, that becomes the very thing that your your entire business model was looking for, for instance. And the second thing is conversations. And I've just really made a habit out of following my curiosity and having conversations. And by that, I mean conversations with peers, conversations with people in my intended audience, my intended market. And as long as I'm doing that, it helps me keep that pulse, my finger on the pulse of, of what's happening. Where can I create the greatest value? How are the needs in the market shifting? You know, back in 2020, when COVID first hit and a lot of people were freaked out about their business because maybe some of the channels that they use to market, to sell, to create value were interrupted. Speakers, they no longer had gigs, right? right I had a lot right. of clients in that. And they're like, what do I do now? And my advice to them was, 
go out and have 15 conversations with people in your intended audience, because guaranteed right now with COVID hitting, everybody's needs have shifted overnight and you just need to figure out, well, what are those unfulfilled needs and how can I adapt to what it is that I do best, even if it looks a little differently than it did a few weeks ago in order to create value to fulfill those needs for my intended market right now. And so that curiosity and conversations have always served me well in store in helping me to stay abreast of, of what the market needs and where I can best help. I think that's a great point. And also realizing that our own bias is this is the way that it is. I think there's certainly foundations and they're tried and true rules, if you will, but the world is changing. 2021, man, that's seen a lot of changes, I think, in marketing mm-hmm. and, just, and just culture. And um, you got to roll with it if you're going to survive in it. Right. And if we get too married to our own ideas or, I mean, look, I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that business needs to be that needs. Here's what I say is that strategy, which is, you know, making that plan of how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to go lies like ideal strategy lies in the crossover Venn diagram between two things. And on, and it's, it's a pretty simple diagram on the one side is you. So what you want to achieve, what are your strengths? What are your values? What are your goals and so forth? And then the other circle is very simply the audience you want to serve. What are their unfulfilled needs? What are they looking for right now? What's top of mind for them? What's the exact language that they're using? How would they like to receive what's frustrating them that they haven't been able to figure out in order to get to where they want to go. And if you just land in the nice crossover of those two things, your strategy is going to, it's going to lead you where you want to go because you are creating value where value is needed most. But it requires that we continually update that Venn diagram. We continually check back in with ourselves about where we're headed, where we want to go, what we bring to the table, what sets us apart, what do I want out of my, what's my lifestyle design I want to fulfill, what are the financial goals I have to my, for myself, what are my value, what are the things that I'm not willing to compromise on, and then also checking back in with the audience of like, well, what do they need most, what's the zeitgeist right now in terms of what they're looking for, the language they're using, and so forth, and as long as you ride the middle of those things, I mean, that's what leads to successful strategy and therefore a successfully growing business as well, despite whether it's a huge interruption like COVID that happens or just a hiccup in your business or, or in the, the market that you serve. And, and that's why it's just important to make those things a, a habit to keep that Venn diagram updated. Related to that, you've been around long enough to see probably a stretch within your business, and it could have been internet business mastery, where you might've felt like you had it dialed in. Did you ever feel that way? Like, Hey, I figured it out. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is easy to fill when we've got a large list. All we have to do is send an email campaign and people sign up. And I'll tell you, it's really nice when you're in that uh, situation with the business, right? And it's very easy to assume oh, I've arrived. It's just going to continue this way, right? Well, something I noticed that some people have, and maybe this affected you, because it sounds like Internet Business Mastery started with a bang. Pretty quickly, you guys had a fairly large audience. Is that true? Yeah. In the first couple of years, large audience asking us like, hey, do you guys offer anything more? And so it was like fertile ground. <laughs> it's a good for a place to be in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about breaking out of that then. So you are getting lucky and maybe didn't realize how lucky you were. You think you can do no wrong. You're making money. Talk about that. I want to know how internet business mastery ended, did you feel like you were going to recreate something different? Like I got this thing figured out. I can go recreate something different. Did it die a weird death? Talk about the transition you had from there to here. 
I can certainly speak for myself. I'm, I'm making some assumptions when it comes to Jeremy, but I, I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're always looking for a bit of, of novelty and growth and, and change. And after doing the same thing for 10 years or more, you want a change. So here's what we ended up doing is we ended up saying, okay, look, we're ready for some different things, but we also have a client base and an audience that we're serving here. Maybe we can find somebody that'll help us run this business and it'll free up our time to be able to explore other things and we'll feel fulfilled by by being able to explore the things while still maintaining what we're doing which in theory is exactly i think what most businesses eventually want to do is is unhook it from being dependent upon you being present at all times we felt like that's what we had done. We we brought in a business manager. They were running things for us. And in fact, for a good probably 18 months, the business just kept bringing in money. We were living the dream of like, I'm probably working like four to six hours a month on this business. And yet it's providing for all of my needs, right? Which is where we want to get to. If you just sit comfortably in that place and you're not really keeping an eye on what's going on, it's going to come around and bite you. And then it finally got to a place where it's like, okay, wait, I'm either going to need to re-engage with this and fix it. I think what happened in hindsight is that we turned over the reins too soon. The reason we did that is we waited too long. So we waited too long for that feeling of like, oh, we just need a change. And so by the time that feeling hit us, we were just like, okay, whatever we can find this, like, okay, hand the reins over and we can get a change and focus on other things. And the business wasn't ready for that. And it was able to survive a good while on doing that. But then the reality started showing up in the numbers. If you take your eye off the ball for too long, you inevitably are going to run into some problems. And so we had a tough decision to make. Do we re-engage full-time with this business that we've been fortunate to only work on for you know a few hours a month for the last 18 months? Or... Or are we just past that point and ready for new things? And at the time, at least for me, I was like, you know what? I'm already moving on to some other things because that's what I need for my own fulfillment, for my own growth. And so it just, it meant, you know, that reality of either just cutting bait or what ended up happening is Jeremy said, well, I have some new ideas of what I can do with this thing. And so I said, okay, great. If you want to experiment with it, fine. And we came up with an agreement and I exited, but you know, there's a big lesson there in terms of a, I think we rested on our laurels too long without disrupting ourselves. And then B, if you extract yourself too soon without doing the proper work first, then, you know, the business is not going to survive. It's absolutely possible to do that, but I've certainly learned a number of things in hindsight about required to actually have a business keep going on its own. And we weren't quite there yet, but this is just how things worked out in the end. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But so that's, that's kind of how things went down. I want to know a little bit more about that. So it, it's going great guns. You bring in somebody else. Let's say you're making 100% revenue at that point. And it goes on for about 18 months, it sounds like. Is it still at 100% or is it a, a slower... A decline, maybe 95, then 90, then 85, then... Yeah, I mean, it was a good 100% for a while. And here's, again, hindsight 2020, here's where it went awry. The directive that we gave to the, the business manager was to... So let me zoom out for just a bit. When I'm working with clients and they say, 
hey, I want to grow my business. And there's several things I look at, but one of them is, okay, we want to find the best, what I call growth lever for your business. That thing, you know, you push on that thing, you press that button, it's going to have the greatest return on your investment. The most leverage. Of, of what you're putting in, the most leverage. And there are essentially only three of them. Number one is you can bring more people in, so generate more leads. Number two, you can convert more of those people into customers. Or number three, you increase the lifetime value of the customers that you already have. And it all, all strategy for growth of revenue boils down to one of those three areas. And we were really concentrated on conversions and lifetime value because we had a lot of products at the time. We're like, look, we've got like 12 products. They're selling, selling well. We just need to keep the list going through this sophisticated system and funnel. And like funnels were all, I mean, they're still the rage, but they were really becoming the rage at the time, right? And so we established all the different funnels and, hey, people go through this path. And then if they don't buy that, they go through this path. And we're just always trying to figure out what's the thing they might want next and move them to that thing. And after 18 months, we didn't realize there's not enough new blood coming in. There's not enough new stuff. And we were still doing the podcast. That was like, when I say we had four to six hours a month, we were still focused on the business is because we were still recording the podcast as like the face of the brand. And that was (laughs) about all we were doing, right? But there was more than that needed. Because I think at the same time, podcasting was shifted. A lot more people were coming into it and it wasn't going to continue to just be this golden goose of leads for us anymore. And... Others were other hungry new people. I mean, we had other people nipping at our heels that were the the latest thing in in you know how to start an internet business, and they were the ones focusing on Facebook ads or, or whatever the hot thing was at the time. And we were still just doing the same thing we'd ever done, and it eventually was starting to show that it, it could no longer sustain what we had built. Well, that takes me back to that thing of you think you've got it figured out and you're doing your thing and you're going to keep doing it and you're going to get the same results. And we've all heard that saying, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. And and that's absolutely not true. Not in this case anyway, because the world is shifting. I love what you said about customers. I, I call them dying off. I say, you know, we're like a cigarette company that our customers are dying. And right. in order for a cigarette company to continue because you're killing off your customers, whether intentionally or not intentionally, you got to bring new people in and people get burnt out in this world. This is mm-hmm. why I wanted to talk to you about how long this stuff took and longevity, because I would say the average career of somebody who's interested in marketing online or running an online business, it's not nearly as long as what you and I have done. It's maybe, right. I don't know, six months maybe until you <laughs> yeah. blow through all your money trying to figure it out and then you get exhausted and your friends won't talk to you anymore. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah. So it really is an interesting thing. I think unfortunately that's part of it. I, th- I think you do have to get in and take a few hits before you figure it out. You can't, e- even if you read a book, listen to the podcast, it's, it, it's just theory until you get in and do it. And, you know, it's like I can trade on paper all I want in the stock market, but until my money's on the line and I can feel the blood pressure getting higher, my heart rate going up, you don't know what it's like, even if you're the best theorist. Life is full of change. Business is full of change. The world is, is full of change. And whether it's a cataclysmic shift like a pandemic, which you know supposedly comes along every once in a hundred years or so forth, or just 
a slight shift in the culture of the world or a slight shift in the technologies available in your market, or people are burning out on hearing over and over and over again, a particular approach to being marketed to and advertised to. I mean, we've been around long enough to know it's like, okay, webinars get hot and then they fall out of, of, and then they're hot again. And then they fall and then everyone's talking about membership sites and then they fall out of favor and then they're talking about it again. And it's for these very reasons. And so what I've learned is that ability to stay nimble and tapped in to, which comes back to the word empathy, but tapped into your market is one of the absolute most important things for the survival of your business. Well, that, and also personality. If you can have that personality show through podcasting, you can probably figure out how to do it via video, but you got to have the personality. You've got to feel comfortable putting yourself out there. It really comes back to the fundamentals. I think that the tactics of how we get out to people are way overrated. And that's how I can tell somebody who's been in the game for a while and has been successful at it compared to somebody who's new. Like, oh, TikTok, you got to be on TikTok. TikTok is hot. It's like, mm, TikTok is just an app, man. Right, right. You know, we saw this last year. They're going to shut TikTok down. And that might as well be a pandemic because if you've got something that works and then it goes away, fax advertising did that. Remember when you could go to your office 9 a.m. and there's 8,000 faxes there waiting for you? Well, (laughs) that's illegal. Uh, Spam robot calls. There's an app for that now. We don't get as many of those calls anymore. But there were a lot of people making a lot of money doing that for a while, and then they weren't. In my early days of marketing, Dan Kennedy was one of the people that I learned from. He was all about the faxes, right? And the direct mail and the things like that. And then things shifted. However, I took with me a lot of just fundamental principles that I had learned from him at the time about grabbing people's attention and what's a good value proposition and so forth. And so it does come back to strategy and fundamentals and frameworks. You know what I'm saying about frameworks as opposed to tactics and formulas. If you can realize that, then you're going to be able to adapt. And even if it means iteratively experimenting on new things until you land on the next thing that's going to work for you, yeah, fine. But whatever you do, if you take anything away from this, please don't rest on your laurels because things are going to change. The podcast is called Impact, jasonvanorden.com. You're already here, so you might as well go listen to Jason. It's Impact Podcast. That is also at jasonvanorden.com. Jason, appreciate you being here. Yeah, David, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.